going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 258 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap our results from week seven in the NFL. Joey, a week filled with pain. Yeah, it wasn't the best week for us uh, in cash or in tournaments. Myself, I only ended up playing one tournament lineup because I was actually kind of confident heading into cash games this week, but ended up losing. My lineup finished with 148.98 in cash, which was good enough to cash in two of the double ups I played actually, but not cash in the higher dollar double ups. And head to heads, I only won three out of 12 head to heads total. So not the best week for me. Do feel like I made some mistakes process wise. And you know, it's just unfortunate because saying all week how it's a three running back week in cash and I play four wide receivers like a stone idiot. So <laughs> I definitely made mistakes. Um, that's on me. I have to play better. No excuses. Yeah, man. I, I mean, love the accountability there. I, I, on the other hand, feel like I got destroyed by bad results <laughs> on solid process. Although, I mean, I got to take it with a grain of salt because I wasn't the only one had DK Metcalf in cash, you know, I play Higgins there instead. I cash had 146.3 points, which was close to the cash line, about five points out. Really tough to be that close to the cash line and have, you know, one of your main guys get injured. I think the main difference for us in cash this week is that we both opted to go the Eckler route. He was about 30 to 35% owned in cash. About a third of the field paid up to Eckler. I mean, we made it clear all week. I made it clear all week that Eckler to me was a priority. He ended up having a monster game, another 12 catches, his third 30 plus point game in the last four weeks. Eckler smashed. I feel good about prioritizing him. Josh Jacobs with another monster game. We all saw that coming, but Kenneth Walker also ended up getting there. Neither of us played Walker. That was sort of our stand this week. And, you know, he jammed it down our throats with a late 74 yard touchdown to hit the bonus, uh, 7.4 four yards on the run, touchdown, nice 17 point play to just absolutely bury us at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was pain. You know, I was out doing whatever. I look at my phone and all I see is 74 yard touchdown run. I checked DraftKings. I was cashing all day, you know, six hours of being in the money and then I'm just stone dead. Kind of made a little bit of comeback. Eckler ended up scoring a late touchdown. So that did salvage some money for myself. But yeah, that was just pure pain. I think it was probably bad process. And you know what I was saying before about how I made a mistake. I think that Eckler was a priority for sure projecting as one of the best values but I think just playing those three running backs Josh Jacobs Walker and Eckler was the most optimal strategy and just making the lineup fit around that chalk has been absolutely smashing this year projections are as good as they've ever been and when you have three running backs that are projecting as you know two and a half point values and higher uh, especially with Eckler and Josh Jacobs like I think it was just bad to not have a lineup that included all three of those guys um, and, you know, play a cheap wide receiver in Romeo Dobbs or DJ Moore or something like that. Although, you know, Dobbs ended up finishing with a donut, I think 
just from a process standpoint, not playing those three running backs together and making it fit was probably bad in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, really, that was the difference in cash. And we talked about it before the slate locked that, you know, this was going to be a week that was decided by some 2v2s that were very close. Now we had conviction in the direction that we went, ended up being on the wrong side of it. I don't feel too bad about the Walker fade. Um, You know, Seattle upset this game. They were underdogs. On the road, Kenneth Walker had zero targets. There is easily a scenario where the Chargers don't get behind early and Kenneth Walker gets scripted out of this game. DJ Dallas had decent usage as well. So I don't know, man. I mean, Kenneth Walker obviously gets there in the end. I had Joe Mixon as my running back three in cash. Should have set up well game script wise. The Bengals were up by basically two touchdowns or more the entire game and just let Joe Burrow continue to sling it. So that was sort of a difference. But yeah, I mean, if you had the three running back combo of Jacobs, Eckler, and Walker, you probably cashed. Or if you played Joe Burrow, who was about 20%, if you were, you know, in the fifth of the player pool that had Burrow in cash, you probably smashed because he very definitively separated from the position, had more than 11 points higher than the next closest quarterback and, you know, almost 20 points more than the quarterbacks that people were playing in cash, Justin Herbert. Dak Prescott, Geno Smith, etc. So yeah, I mean, Burrow was a huge difference in cash as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we both expected the Bengals to control this game. And usually we see when the Bengals get up and control games, uh, they just end up kind of just managing their way to a win, feeding Joe Mixon, you know, giving him 25 plus touches, kind of limiting the pass volume. But there's definitely games within the range of Joe Burrow in this Bengals offense where they just let him rip it and this ended up being one of those games and we weren't on it once again and you know it just feels like whenever I'm on Joe Burrow and the Bengals stuff that's when they go run heavy and whenever I'm not on it that's when they go nuclear so it's like a team that I can personally never get right and it's just so frustrating yeah I I totally agree and and feel the same way in terms of interesting stats and storylines this was one because you know we have to look at why we were off that and I think it makes a lot of sense like they were massive favorites against a terrible rush defense in the Falcons and we really did get the script they were up by two touchdowns early in that game Mariota only threw the ball 13 times like this was a game they had full control of but Joe Mixon really got no usage in the second half I think he accumulated like five points over the second half you know he had 13 early in the game after scoring a touchdown it seemed like Mixon was on his way to a huge game but it was all the passing game Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd were the two highest scoring wide receivers on the slate with 36 and 32 and a half points respectively the Bengals pass rate was at 68 percent yesterday which is five percent higher than their season average even in a game they were blowing the Falcons out and to me that just means that we need to have exposure to this offense every single week especially in soft matchups and maybe that's something that we just have to reevaluate that the Bengals in their current form may be willing to do things differently than they have in the past and not just lean on the run game maybe be one of these teams that has a higher pass rate over expectation which is what we've wanted from them it's how we've wanted them to play but I think we've been reasonably skeptical it may be time to reevaluate our thoughts on the way this offense runs. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And, you know, but it just wouldn't surprise me to see like next week or whenever the Bengals play next, I don't know if they have a bye, to see Zach Taylor just, oh, all right, we'll go back to running the ball. Joe Mixon, here you go, 30 touches. Yeah. And when everybody's on it, 
that's when they decide to just go full-blown established run. God, so frustrating, so frustrating. I mean, speaking of frustrating, the thing that I had the most conviction about this week was that the Bucks were going to absolutely blow the doors off the Carolina Panthers. However, Tom Brady and this supposedly loaded offense with Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette and Chris Godwin got completely blown out by a team that isn't even interested in winning football. Like, I mean, honestly, think about that. The Panthers are trading away their entire franchise. They just traded away one of the best players this franchise has ever had and then proceeds to completely clamp down on the Bucks offense. Tom Brady's offense put up three points. I don't know, man. It's, it's starting to become a trend. We thought this was a perfect get-right spot for the Bucks. Mike Evans drops a, you know, a clear-cut like 70-yard touchdown on the first drive for the Bucks, and you know that really set the tone for the game. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> and so my question to you, Joey, I mean, is this the end for Brady? Like, is this the Tom Brady version of Peyton Manning's final season where – it's just, it's over. And age has finally caught up to the GOAT because honestly, I, I've been cutting him slack up to this point and continuing to buy in and be ready for this bounce back, but it just may never come. Yeah. I mean, it might not. It might not. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, did you see the video where somebody asked him if he plans on retiring now? And he said he has no plans on it. So I think he still wants to play for years. Yeah. So I guess it's just questioning whether he still has the ability to play. And obviously, as he gets older, he's not going to be as elite as he once was, as he was, you know, even five years ago. Right. That's just going to happen. That's just uh, life. You're just not going to be as good at things as you were when you were younger. Do I think he can still play better than he's playing right now? Absolutely. But is he going through a lot of stuff in his personal life? Yeah. And is it affecting him? Most likely. Right. So it's tough. I mean, obviously, we were both high on the Bucks yesterday, and they just absolutely shit the bed. And like you said, Mike Evans dropping a 65-yard touchdown on the first drive of the game kind of set the tone. Um, but I think that this team is just way too talented to not bounce back. And I think as the season goes on, this Bucks offense should get right and you know they'll, they'll still probably make the playoffs they're in a very weak division so I don't I don't think this is you know Tom Brady's final season or anything or his Peyton Manning season I mean Peyton could barely even throw the ball Tom could still rip it uh, as we saw on that Mike Evans put it right in the breadbasket 50 yards downfield drop there's nothing you could do about that but he is probably going through some shit yeah man i mean is there any more pain in dfs than like the the low owned tournament play that you have so much conviction on like mike evans was my guy this week he was easily the most owned wide receiver that i had in tournaments and just early in the game dropping what could have been a separating play you just know what kind of day you're gonna have when that kind of thing happens and just the utmost pain as soon as I saw that, I just I knew I was in for a fat L, and that's exactly what happened yesterday. I mean, I didn't cash in no. a single tournament lineup, just no. completely brutal. Now, on the flip side, right, we saw the Bucks completely collapse. An offense that we're seeing do the opposite is the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know, for the first time this season, we saw this offense operate through the wide receivers. Patrick Mahomes threw for over 400 yards against one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Chiefs put up 44 points. Juju, over 100 yards and a touchdown for the second week in a row. MVS with his first 100-yard game as a Chief and his second game with 90-plus receiving yards over the last three weeks. Mecole Hardman with the hat trick, three touchdowns. It, it, I think it's just encouraging to see, you know, because we've been skeptical about whether 
whether this offense could be successful with the current wide receiver talent and two weeks in a row for Juju topping 100 yards. It looks like we will have viability with Chiefs double stacks going forward. Yeah, it's just always the question of who to stack Patrick Mahomes with. We obviously know the Chiefs offense has one of the highest ceilings in the NFL and you know they lose Tyreek Hill and they're still they're still great, right? Like Right. This is a Patrick Mahomes led offense. He's one of the best quarterbacks of the last 20 years and he's just naturally going to elevate players around him and the thing is is you know who do you play with him on a week to week basis like this week it was Juju and McCole Hardman that you needed if you played the Patrick Mahomes double but MVS still had a good game uh, I hate to say that <laughs> Travis Kelsey still had a decent game so it's like you're just throwing at a dartboard when you're trying to pick what Chiefs player is going to go off on a certain week which is why they always come in under owned yeah I mean so do you think that specifically for the way that we play tournaments it makes it difficult it feels like to me people like us and and there are a lot of people who you know just hand build you know five to ten to fifteen lineups per week and that's how they play tournaments I think it's really hard to plug in the right guys when you're trying to stack up the Chiefs Mm -hmm. you know maybe you're building 15 lineups if you make five Mahomes lineups what are the chances you're going to hit the right combo but if you're MMEing you know with an optimizer and you know optimizing 150 lineups and setting your Chiefs exposures I th- I feel like for people who are 150ing it's a better way to build for the Chiefs specifically which yeah. makes it tough for us I think yeah 100% if you're only making you know two to ten lineups a week you're probably never going to get the right combo but that's just the name of the game and that's why you should just really be focusing on three max single entry tournaments you know where certain players don't have an edge because of bankroll or algorithms or whatnot so all right let's talk about some of the running back usage from this slate there were a lot of interesting notes and we can start off with christian mccaffrey uh who got traded on thursday night only had about three days to get familiar with this offense. There was a story that he was like reading the playbook on the plane to San Francisco, ended up playing 29% of snaps in his first game, eight rush attempts for 38 yards, two catches for 24. I I think he's going to be an absolute monster in this offense once he gets acclimated. Maybe we have one more week of them working him in. Maybe he's up to like 60% next week. But I think that, you know, for the second half of this season, CMC is going to be an absolute workload monster in an explosive offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the best running back or one of the best running backs in the NFL in one of the best offensive systems in the NFL that is going to make him the focal point and find creative ways to use him in the passing game. So moving forward, I mean, he's been, even on the Panthers, a top three, top four option in fantasy. He's probably a top two option with the switch to the 49ers, probably just behind uh, good old Cooper Cup. So CMC, he's probably going to smash as long as he stays healthy. And, you know, he's stayed healthy this year. You know, he hasn't he hasn't missed a game. So, yep, 10 touches on 30% of snaps. Just wait till he's up to 80, 85%. <laughs> like, God. All right. Uh, on the flip side, right? CMC departs Carolina, and both Panthers running backs were productive in their first game post CMC. Foreman had a 60 yard run at one point, ended up 
playing more snaps, 54%, but Chuba Hubbard did exit the game at one point and was out touching Foreman prior to his injury, 73 yards and a touchdown for Chuba. Ultimately, while both running backs were productive in this spot, I, I do believe that this game was an aberration. It, it was kind of like a perfect trap game for the Panthers to upset a division team in the Bucks. but I, I generally do believe this is going to be a terrible team going forward. You know, a team that is giving up. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, trading away talent wasn't over for this team. I would be hard-pressed to take any sort of sizable bet on either of these Panthers running backs going forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree, obviously especially for DFS purposes like you're probably never going to consider Foreman or Chuba but you know as late round best ball selections or zero RB targets I mean this is why you go that route you know especially in redraft you pick up Foreman or you pick up Chuba you have to start them due to a ton of injuries that we'll talk about uh, moving forward they're probably low-end flex options and one of them scores a touchdown you're, you're fine with that. So I think they're okay. Um, I think that they're f- going to be fine starters, but obviously the upside and, and ceiling is extremely low, but I think you could do worse. And especially if one of them separates, like if Foreman separates from Chuba or if Chuba uh, is out for a while, I mean, it, it's looking like he won't be, but if one of them gets hurt, I, I think, you know, you, you got to play him. You got to start him, um, especially in redraft, not in DFS. Yep. Completely agree with everything you just said. Tony Pollard yesterday played 65% of snaps, almost doubled Zeke's yardage. I think this is anecdotal. I would have to go back and check this to make sure, but I think this is the first time this has ever happened when both backs were healthy. The only time we've ever seen Tony Pollard, you know, get the bulk of carries is if Zeke left the game or, or something like that. And I mean, the Cowboys organization as a whole, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, they love Ezekiel Elliott. For that reason, I think it would be very hard to envision this team making a permanent switch and making Tony Pollard the guy going forward. But goddamn, dude, if they did, sky is the absolute limit for Tony Pollard. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue is they won't. Yeah, they're too financially committed to Zeke. Obviously, the optimal play would be to have Tony Pollard as a potential workhorse. But then again, we don't know how he would operate as a potential workhorse. Like, is he built to handle a substantial workload? Uh, We don't know because we've only seen him in this kind of, you know, split role, uh, change of pace role. And he excels at it. And I mean, Tony Pollard is an every week starter in fantasy football but it's easy to say yeah if if Zeke was out Tony Pollard would smash but we we honestly don't know you know how he would hold up if they gave him 25 touches a game but I mean it's no doubt he's better than Zeke at this point in their careers he's just more explosive he's younger he's fresher and he doesn't have the wear and tear that Zeke has and I mean Zeke obviously I think he's a Hall of Fame running back but when you have what 10,000 touches in the last seven years it's it's gonna do something to you it's that simple yeah and and, you know the only way Zeke gets there and we saw it yesterday right was if he punches in two touchdowns and even then he only put up 17.7 points it's just the ceiling is not there for Zeke anymore he doesn't catch passes yep he, d- he doesn't catch passes. He gives up too much work to Pollard, and he's not breaking off the explosive runs that he did early in his career. So, I mean, in a two-touchdown game in the best matchup on the slate, Zeke puts up under 18 points. I-, I just think that he's pretty much out of play permanently for DFS. There is no ceiling there. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, 
And then you take into consideration that the Cowboys just, I mean, they just consistently fumbled the bag on offense. I mean, they they put up 24 in this spot, but it, it feels like they should have put up 35 plus. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Let's take a look at some of the rookie running backs. Travis Etienne really starting to separate in this Jags backfield, played 80% of snaps against the Giants in week seven, rushed 14 times for 114 yards and a touchdown, only caught one of his five targets, but that's 19 opportunities for ETN. J-Rob fell to under 20% of snaps and didn't have a single touch. So we're seeing this team and this offense commit to Travis ETN. He's a dynamic player. He's you know, was explosive as hell, was averaging like over eight yards per attempt yesterday and has had a decent role in the passing game. I mean, Travis Etienne could be a huge factor down the stretch at the running back position. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think it's just more so, you know, betting against players coming off Achilles injuries is the most profitable bet profitable bet you can make. I know he kind of shoved it down people's throats early in the season, James Robinson, that is, in the first two, three weeks. But since then, he has done literally nothing. It looks like they're moving on to Travis Etienne as their workhorse, which they should. Uh, He's obviously younger, more explosive, more upside, and just fits better with this Jags offense and how they want to play. It's obviously concerning that you know, his pass catching upside isn't what everybody kind of made it out to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about that prior to the season, how he wasn't a natural pass catcher. And we've talked about that on the pod, especially talking about best ball. But nonetheless, he could still smash if he's getting 19, 20 opportunities a week on one of, you know, the rising offenses in the NFL. So his stock is definitely looking up. J-Rob, I mean, you could drop him in fantasy and he's definitely not in play anymore. And yeah, like I said, just most profitable bet you can make, betting against players coming off Achilles. And we see it with James Robinson, Cam Akers. They ain't doing shit this year. Facts, facts. Couldn't have said it better myself. Damian Pierce, another rookie running back. Dude, this, this man is the entire Texans offense right now, right? In week five, before the bye, 26 attempts and five targets. This week, 20 attempts and four targets. Over his last three games, 60 attempts and 15 targets. The usage is elite. The talent is legitimate. The situation is god-awful, terrible. This Texans offense is lost, but somehow Damian Pierce is still managing to get it done every single week. Yeah, I mean, the upside and ceiling is obviously low just due to situation, which sucks, but Damian Pierce, he's he's legit. He He's legit. He's actually pretty, pretty good, and like you said, the usage is elite so he's obviously an every week starter in DFS I think he's just a low ceiling play and I'm probably never going to click Damian Pierce especially with him being above 6k but yeah he is the entire Texans offense as it currently stands right now and you know it's just going to be interesting to see where he ends up going next year in best ball and fantasy football when the Texans presumably have a top three pick and take one of the three elite quarterbacks that are coming out of college football this year in uh in the in the next draft. So it's gonna be interesting to see how far his stock rises uh for next year. But this year, I mean, he's just a solid RB two, gonna get you probably twelve to fifteen points a week. Absolutely. I mean, Damian Pierce, how how high we are on him next offseason, I think will depend on price. If he gets steamed up to like the third, fourth round, it'll obviously be hands off. But if he's one of those guys sitting right at the back end of the sixth, seventh, where the running back dead zone ends, I mean, he could be one of our highest owned players. So we'll just have to let 
uh, the market determine Damian Pierce's value. Isaiah Pacheco, another rookie running back, was named the Chiefs starter on Sunday morning. That report came out per Ian Rappaport, and, and he did get the start, right? He, he got the first snap, but he only played 30% of snaps. CEH played 27% of snaps, and McKinnon ended up leading with 44% even in a positive game script. Usually McKinnon is, you know, more so the pass catcher, the guy that they're utilizing when behind. So that was interesting. But in my opinion, this is just a three-headed backfield. It doesn't matter who the quote-unquote starter is. All three of these guys are going to be involved, which makes this an impossible situation to play into, especially in DFS. Yeah, I mean, you. I don't think you can play any of these guys in DFS or start any of them in redraft. I mean, it's just a total hands-off situation. It's a crapshoot every single week. And the usage is unpredictable, so I will not be playing any Chiefs running back ever uh, for the rest of the season. And I don't, I mean, I don't have any in any of our redraft leagues and, and DFS. I haven't played a single one this entire year and I don't plan on it so yep I I think that you can roster them I mean I I think it would take an injury to make them starting viable but if if one of these guys exits the picture then it's a different scenario so I, I would be rostering and holding but not starting for the time being the last thing that I want to touch on before we look at the injuries of note from the week, and you know, I know this wasn't on the main slate and it, it feels like forever ago on Thursday night football, but DeAndre Hopkins returned to the NFL this week off of his suspension. And I mean, this dude didn't miss a step. 14 targets in game one, 10 catches, 103 yards, and a 48% target share for Kyler Murray you know, wheels up for DeAndre Hopkins in his return. Yeah, I mean, no Hollywood Brown. Ronda Moore is obviously whatever. Zach Ertz is kind of dusted at this point. I mean, the target share should be astronomical for DeAndre Hopkins. And it's just all about whether or not they, you know, decide to feature him. And they decided to feature D-Hop in his first game back and figure out ways to get him the ball and scheme up play specifically for him. So hopefully Cliff uh, continues to do that. But, you know, with Cliff Kingsbury, you can never rule anything out. And DeAndre Hopkins could come into next week and have a, a four-target game. So, Oh, yeah. Pfft, yeah. Yeah, 7,400 on DraftKings next week. Something we'll talk about on the Thursday podcast. Also worth keeping in mind that Kyler Murray only has about one more week of viability before Call of Duty drops, and he'll be hands-off for the rest of the season. You said he has one more week of viability? Oh, I mean, you must be mistaken, because COD drops in four days, brother. Oh, oh, so we're benching Kyler for the rest of the season. Drops Friday night. They do have an away game, though, against the Vikings, and it's a pretty big game, mm. I would say, um, for you know the NFC standings and whatnot. So he probably won't have time to play COD this week, especially if he's not at home at his PC on his own setup. But the Cardinals do play at home next week against the Seahawks. So if you don't think he's grinding double XP weekend or double XP week next week, I mean, you're off your rocker. (laughs) Wait, um, is is Kyler confirmed PC gamer? Because I mean, if he's console, I'm telling you right now, he's going to have an Xbox or a PS5 in his hotel room playing Saturday night before that game. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's PC um, because I think he streams. Yeah, he does. I've so, just never watched it. Yeah, so I, th- I think that he is a PC guy. Um, probably just uses a controller on PC. But, I mean, it's well within the range that 
the team has a PS5 on deck. Oh, I mean, he's rich, and, he, and all he's the rich boys as fuck. Up. You think he doesn't have an Xbox, PS5, and PC just for when they have road games? He's he, You know he's not leaving his account. Come on. Oh, man. Kyler Murray's funny. Um, all right. Injuries of note. Joey, the, the big one, the, the one that really hits hits deep is is Brees Hall, who was on his way to an incredible rookie year, exited the game, took a pretty brutal hit, and is feared to have a torn ACL. Brees Hall's welcome to the NFL cut short, unfortunately. Pain. Just pain. I mean, so what happens when you play the running back position? There's yeah. not much else to say. Yeah, man. Tough, tough scene. Michael Carter is going to have a pretty big role, I think, for yeah. the duration of the season. That's something we'll talk about on Thursday. I think he'll be strict. Uh, he'll be squarely in cash game consideration. We will get to that on Thursday. Brees Hall, a player I could see being in the second round of best ball drafts in 2023. Ryan Tannehill was spotted in a walking boot post game yesterday. I'm not exactly sure what the injury is. I saw some quotes of him saying that he would try to be back as soon as possible. Not sure if this is the type of injury he'll be able to bounce back from within a week or not, but Malik Willis may end up getting some starts, Joey, and that'll be an interesting thing to discuss throughout the course of the week. Malik Willis obviously has that sort of dual threat ability that we look for at the quarterback position. He's going to be min price or he's going to be 5k on DraftKings next week in a plus matchup against Houston. If we get him, this will be a conversation piece all week. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's definitely a, a help to your best ball portfolio. Oh yeah. I mean, he was my most owned quarterback uh, in the pre-draft best ball tournaments. So let's, yeah. let's go Malik, Malik season. Speaking of my best ball portfolio, it will probably not matter how how well Malik Willis does if Mike <laughs> Williams misses any time. I mean, for anybody who Dang. listened to our offseason shows, you know, regarding best ball, Mike Williams was, you know, easily the player I was the highest on, second highest owned wide receiver in best ball, ankle sprain, Keenan Allen told reporters in the locker room that it was a high ankle sprain, but I'm not sure how he would know that. They are still doing testing. That's unconfirmed. The Chargers do have a buy in week eight or nine yeah week eight this week yeah this week. the chargers do have a buy in week eight this week so mike williams will at least get that extra week to return we'll see whether or not he returns i'm praying that he does man because i'm financially ruined if mike williams misses <laughs> this season yeah i mean just unfortunate injuries this week all around the nfl mike williams uh late getting hurt i mean just just pure pain um and I mean, for, for me specifically, obviously that hurt in best ball, but in redraft, I, I kind of got lucky and, you know, people who were also high on Mike Williams just grabbed him before me and I've actually faded a ton of injuries in redraft, which is kind of why I'm doing so well, but that's fantasy football for you is getting, you know, either bad or, or good injury luck, you know? Yep. That's the name of the game in redraft. In that same game, DK Metcalf left with a knee injury. Seemed like he was pain. in relatively good spirits on the sideline. Yeah, that's absolute pain. Had him in cash. GG's. Bet, uh, bet all his prize picks. Gets hurt in the first quarter. GG. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was all over that uh, that target prop right there with you. Eight targets. He would have smashed that had he played the whole game. Alas, though, I mean, with the knee injury, the x-rays were negative. So uh, not sure here if he's going to miss time. Something to keep an eye on, though. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Lockett came into this game banged up. DK Metcalf leaves with an injury. Marquise Goodwin, you know, works as like the wide receiver one. Just would be an overall shitty situation for the Seahawks and for Geno Smith. But that just boosts Kenneth Walker 
Walker even more, and we could just see Kenneth Walker become an absolute touch monster if they were to lose uh, some of these guys for a few weeks due to injury. But DK Metcalf, I mean, he should be fine, even if he misses a game or two. It doesn't look like it's serious, so... That, that's good to hear. Yep. Amonra St. Brown also left early in that game with the Lions. Concussion is the suspected issue here. It seemed like uh, he was actually removed from the field by like the observers. Like, I don't I don't think that, you know, he was really showing symptoms. It's, it was one of the third party observers that just like noticed him walk weird and took him out of the game, aka someone had money on Amonra's unders and just got him out of there. Yeah, I mean... Definitely annoying when you play him in DFS, you bet all of his overs on prize picks and you know, you would have got the nut game script for that. And the new rule comes into play. That's all it was, right? Yep. You said he walked wobbly getting off the field, but he ended up being fine. If they don't have that rule, he probably comes in and plays the rest of the game, but they're being more cautious with head injuries and concussions. They take him out. Unfortunate. Nothing you could do. Um, just, I guess, uh, better player safety even though the NFL really doesn't care about its players but that's another conversation it is indeed another conversation that we'll have this week is the dropping price tag of Amon Ross St. Brown under 7k on DraftKings this week if he makes it back next week against Miami he's going to be a stone cold smash at 6900 something we'll definitely talk about on Thursday last few injuries of note Corey Davis MCL the Jets are beat up right now they lost Hall and Davis this week Elijah Moore is in a pseudo holdout Garrett Wilson is the only offensive player on this team worth a damn right now. Mike Boone, foot injury that will consolidate touches in the Denver backfield around Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray. And finally, David Njoku with an ankle sprain, not believed to be serious, and they have a week nine bye. I I could see them sitting him in week eight. He should be good to go in week 10. Yeah, just, you know, injuries to some, you know, kind of Kind of irrelevant guys besides Njoku and Corey Davis, Mike Boone. I mean, if you were playing Corey Davis or Boone, I mean, this game ain't for you. <laughs> Njoku obviously sucks, but like you said, they have a bye um, one week. They should be fine without him. In week eight, uh, especially with Harrison Bryant, you know, one of the more underrated, you know, backup tight ends in my opinion in the NFL. So yeah, I mean, just a ton of injuries. Hopefully everybody listening didn't get hit by the injury bug this week or bet on players that got injured uh, like like myself. And we're, we're going to see a ton more moving forward. And just uh, going back to the Jets guys real quick, do, do we see the Jets go more pass heavy now and get Elijah Moore more involved? I mean, I think it's going to be a necessity at this point, uh, losing Brees Hall. I, th- I think like it's it's time that they probably let Zach Wilson rip it, especially Michael Carter. I mean, he's not he's not Brees Hall. He's not going to handle a full workload and you can't you know, rely on Michael Carter to win you games. I don't know. Maybe this boosts Elijah Moore and and Garrett Wilson moving forward. I mean, in theory, it should. In theory, it should. It's just a matter of whether or not Zach Wilson can do it, especially without Brees Hall taking some pressure off and, you know, having the defenses have to focus in on the run game at that level. They certainly won't have to with Michael Carter. That will be something that we monitor as well. And that, Joey, is going to be it for a sad episode of the DFS Dose podcast. Hopefully next week we'll be better. Going to give ourselves a couple days, get recalibrated, and we will be back on Thursday focused up on week eight and all the ways to make back the money that we lost this week. 
Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at the Dose Media Net, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover, Joey's at Joey Carrying DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what is going on within the network, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord channel. You can find the link for that in the show notes to this podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.